Good morning, this is Tyler. Welcome to Lecture 2 for Economics 1500 for the fall semester of 2005. I hope you've gotten off to a great start in this course, that you've taken the quiz, the multiple choice quiz, for Chapter 1 and have done the essay questions. You've read Chapters 1 and, and probably Chapter 2 by now. This course is very doable and interesting, yeah, but you need to keep up so I hope you're keeping up. Chapter 2 has a number of, of, of very important economic principles in it. Uh, you, you well, you'll be well served by understanding the material in, in, in Chapter 2 in terms of understanding uh, the world around you and, and, and uh, understanding some economic principles that will help you in future business e economics courses and future business courses. If you would call up the slides for chapter two, and while you're doing that, so will I. I think. Uh, yes, here they are. And you see, chapter two is about choice, opportunity, cost, and specialization. Uh, three important topics in economics, and I can't get my slides to work. Okay, here we here we go. Let's go to slide two. We already know this a little bit of this from chapter one, and a, lo and a lot of uh, of the material in an introductory course is understanding terminology. We see some of that here. In making decisions in life, as individuals and as a society, and even well, and 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 for business firms, it's opportunity costs that matter. So this topic, this this concept of an opportunity cost is crucial. And it's also, uh, you know, remember, we envision in economics consumers and individuals and households and uh, agents. We use that term, agents, or decision makers. Compare costs and benefits in making decisions. We're rational, self-interested individuals. We compare costs and benefits in making a decision. When you decided to come to college, you made a choice. You compared the costs of going to college and the benefits of going to college. Now the costs were really, what's important is the opportunity cost. There are what we call, we could use the term explicit costs. You have to write a check for, like tuition and books. But that's not the complete cost of going to college. There are, there are other costs that, for which you do not write a check. Or there's no monetary outlay. And in fact, and in fact, these costs in total may be larger than the costs for which you do write a check. For example, it's your time. You have to sit in class. You have to spend time reading the book and doing homework and thinking about economics when you could be doing something else, earning a wage at a job. Well, the sum total, the value of all that you give up in going to college for four years and earning a degree is the opportunity cost. Specifically, it's the value of the highest valued alternative that must be foregone, that must be given up when a choice is made. That's the opportunity cost. If a farmer decides to grow corn on a 160-acre plot, what's the opportunity cost? What's the cost of growing that corn? Well, it's the value of the fact he could have planted soybeans 
on that 160 acres. So that's the notion of an opportunity cost. There are also uh, also associated with that is this notion of marginal costs and benefits. Again, crucial concepts in 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 economics that'll that'll haunt you or benefit you uh, throughout much of your business education if you go on into business or even just understanding the world around you. Marginal is a synonym for additional. And what matters in making decisions it's the additional cost and the additional benefit associated with that decision. For example, say you're a junior in high uh, in college. You've completed well, say you're a senior. Say you've you've completed three years. You can uh, you can think about the cost of a college degree. Let's assume you can graduate in four. You've you've gone three years. There's a cost of a college degree. There's a total cost, a total opportunity cost of a college degree, and and to figure out that we'd add up the whatever what, the sum total of all that you gave up for the four years to get that college degree. But there's also, at, at the end of that third year, the start of your senior year, there's a marginal opportunity cost of a college degree. It's the cost of that additional year, what it takes to finish. And consequently, there's, an, there's also, an, uh, similarly, a marginal benefit of one more year of college. And it's marginal benefits and costs that matter in making decisions. And we see that, uh, in fact, I, sh I should have told you to go to slide three uh, when I was talking about this, where it notes that decision-making is done at the margin. It's marginal costs and benefits. If you're deciding, if you're, if you're a great basketball player and you're, you're at the end of your third year of college, starting your senior year, or let's just say it's over the summer, you have an option of signing an NBA contract, what really matters is... What's the what's the marginal cost of additional year of college? Well, the money you'd make as an NBA player. What's the marginal benefit of one more year of college? Well, uh, you know, you'd earn your degree and there'd be some benefit there. The fact you've already gone three years, this historical cost, it really doesn't matter. What matters is the additional the cost, the additional benefit when it comes to making decisions. <coughs> Excuse me. Now let's let's move on. We're going to illustrate the concept, some of these concepts, the concept of opportunity cost and marginal opportunity cost using the model of a production possibility frontier or a poss production possibilities curve and that's what we see in slide four. In a world, scarcity imposes constraints on a society. Remember we have scarce resources. We have land, labor, and capital are scarce and consequently we can only produce a limited amount of goods. In the production possibility curve model we assume that we are at a point in time and technology is fixed and we can only produce one of two goods so if you look at slide four in this little hypothetical example we have to choose between producing defense goods and non-defense goods now of course in the real world we can produce an array of goods an assortment of goods but let's just assume to make and often in economics we build we build models we simplify from reality and this is a, a good example of a little simplified model the reason we use models in economics and other disciplines is to is to help us understand important principles. The world, real world is quite complex, but we can discern some important truths by simplifying from reality and focusing on some uh, some essential characteristics of reality. 
Now, now we want to we're going we want to illustrate using the production possibilities model the concept of opportunity cost and increasing marginal opportunity costs. So we're assuming that we have we're at a point in time we can only produce two goods rather than a thousand goods. Otherwise, we couldn't draw a picture of it. Here we can draw a picture in two two dimensions. Now, if we use what's going on in this in this diagram, if we use all of our resources, all of our land, labor, and capital to produce nothing but defense goods, we can produce 200. We'd have no resources left over to produce any non-defense goods. We'd be completely specialized in producing defense goods. Maybe this is like North Korea or something. Where people are starving, but they've got a fine army. Uh, maybe they don't have a fine army. But, uh, you see these pictures on television, they seem to have tanks and goose-stepping troops while the population starves. So point A is like the North Korean point. Or we could completely specialize in non-defense. This is like the Japanese economy. We'll defend them. They can specialize in... They can produce other goods. So point E. Point E is complete specialization in non-defense goods. At that point... Really, it's E1. I, there's a subscript on those for some reason. Just forget the subscript one. Just E. Point E. We're using all of our resources to produce non-defense goods. Where there's no resources left over to produce defense. So, go back to point A. If we want to start producing some non-defense, we have to give up some defense goods. So we can't, for example, move from A to G. G is impossible, given our fixed resources and a technology. We can't produce at G. Because all our resources, by definition, are being used to produce defense goods at point A. If we want to produce some non-defense goods, we have to take resources away from defense. And if we did, defense production would fall and would move to a point like B1. So what is the what is the opportunity cost of producing that first 75 units of non-defense goods? What do we give up? We'll look at the horizontal axis. We gave up 25 units of defense goods to produce 75 units of non-defense goods. Now, if we want to produce 75 more units of non-defense goods, if we, if we want to go to point B1 to E, we have to give up a certain amount, in fact, specifically, 175 units of non-defense goods. Oh, maybe back up. If we want to go from B point B to point E, point B as in boy to E as in Ed, we have to give up an additional 175 units of defense goods. So this 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 frontier, this line, is called the production possibilities curve or production possibilities frontier. It separates the impossible points outside of the curve to the possible points on the curve or inside the curve. Now we wouldn't want to produce inside the curve because we're under underutilizing our resources. We could produce at F1, but we don't want to. It's inefficient. Now note one thing. Let's go back and note one thing. A couple things. One, look at the opportunity cost of that first 75 units of non-defense goods. It was only 25 defense goods. Going from point A to B, we gave up 25 defense goods on the vertical axis to produce 75 units of non-defense goods. Now go from B, point B to point E. From 75 non-defense goods to 150 non-defense goods. 
and ask yourself, how many defense goods did we have to give up for that additional or that marginal 75 units of non-defense goods? Well, we had to give up 175. And look at that and you tell me. Which cost more? For Which had the higher opportunity cost? The first 75 units of non-defense goods or the second 75 units of non-defense goods? And the answer is the opportunity cost of the second 75 units of non-defense goods was much higher than the first, which reflects what we call the law of increasing marginal opportunity costs. The more we produce of a good, we have to give up additional amounts of the other good. Law of increasing marginal opportunity costs. And we'll see that in a second. But before we move to that, let's notice that we have... Uh, what, what The question is, look at point G on, on slide 4 and ask yourself, can we ever produce a point G? And the answer is yes, we can. Not now, because we... We're assuming we're at a fixed point in time with fixed resources, but we could get to point G if what happened. In other words, what are the sources of economic growth? Important question. What causes our economic pie to get bigger? What will allow us to produce more of all goods? We want more of all goods. Remember, we have unlimited wants. You want more. I want more. What will allow our society, our economy, to produce more of all goods? We see that in slide five and six. Just a list. We have to have more... It should be fairly obvious. We have to have more resources. Larger labor force. People have... To, more people... Uh, more, a bigger percent of the population has to work. We have to have more uh, capital, machinery, tools, equipment. We have to have better technology. And one that's often overlooked is that last one. Last item listed on slide five. That is an improvement in the laws. An improvement in the rules that govern how the economy work. Think of North Korea versus South Korea. The South Korean economy is much more efficient and produces a, uh, much more than the North Korean economy. Why? Because in the South Korea they've adopted market economies, the rule of law, and a set of institutions that promote economic efficiency and economic growth. Well, uh, and what we see is inside six is a picture of what economic growth looks at looks like the production possibility curve uh, uh, moves out moves out to the right. Uh, let me stop right there for a second. I need to get a drink of water. Okay, I'm back. Nothing like a diet coke to make the throat feel a little better. Where were we? Well, we just finished the sources of economic growth. So going back to our going back to our slides there. Uh, yeah, now where are my slides? Uh, that's great, Tyler. I can't find my slides. Uh, hmm. There they are. Slide. Go to slide seven, please. Sorry for the interruption. We have a lot, lot more, a lot longer to go. Here, slide seven just reminds us. Oh, and I forgot to turn my phone off. Let me uh, let me hesitate one one more time. Sorry for one more interruption, but we're we're back. Slide seven just tells summarizes what I was saying a minute ago. That is that the the fact that the production possibility curve is bowed out indicates or reflects 
an important fact about the economic world, and that is we live in a world of increasing marginal opportunity costs. We're going to illustrate that with slide, we illustrate with that earlier slide on defense and non-defense. Well, let's look at another slide, just, uh, yeah, well, the same, it's really the same example, just uh, we have it, we have the horizontal axis marked off in increments of 25. So if you look at non-defense goods in slide 8, those are equal increments of 75 to 50 and so on. And we go up to slide, uh, to point A, if we go from point A to B, we ask ourselves, what's the opportunity cost of that first 25 units of non-defense goods? We see we only had to give up five defense goods. If we go from B to C, In other words, what's the opportunity cost of the additional, or the marginal 25 units, going from 25 to 50, we see we had to give up seven defense goods. Now if we go on, so, so the marginal opportunity cost went up. The additional cost of the additional 25 units was higher. Now if we go from D to E, for example, we had to give up 25 units of defense goods for the additional 25 units of non-defense. If we go from F to G, from 125 non-defense to 150 non-defense, we had to give up 50 defense goods. The question is, what is it about the real world that results in this law of increasing marginal opportunity cost, which this bowed-out production possibility curve reflects? Some of you will immediately see, if the production possibility curve were a straight line going from point A to H, then the uh, there would be constant cost. Each additional unit of each additional 25 units of non-defense would cost the same. Well, the reason is is because we live in a world of in which resources are not perfectly adaptable. When you first start producing non-defense goods, you'll use the resources that are best at producing non-defense goods. As you produce more and more and more non-defense goods, pr pretty soon you're re using resources that aren't really very good at producing non-defense goods. And so you have to take more and more of those resources to get the same number of non-defense goods. The law of increasing marginal opportunity costs reflects the fact that resources are not perfectly adaptable at producing different goods. Well, finally, our last two slides. Slides 9 and 10. Well, 9, 10, and 11. We want to illustrate this important concept of the gains that can be incurred or enjoyed from specializing in trading. Before we get into those slides, I want you to just think for a minute. If you're sitting there with a pencil, just look at that pencil. Say just a typical number two yellow pencil. Costs about 10 cents, I suppose. And ask yourself, well, if you have a job, and many of you do, how much of your time does it take to earn enough money to buy a yellow number two pencil? Well, if uh, it's going to take you just a couple minutes, even at fairly low wages of college students and college professors, it doesn't take much time to earn enough money to buy a number two yellow pencil. Couple minutes. In a world of specialization and trade, you specialize in doing something. You work for a firm that specialized. And, and use the income derived from your specialization 
to buy, and that is trade, for something you don't produce. You produce very little of what you consume. You specialize and trade for it. That dramatically reduces opportunity cost. You specialize in working for Icon Health and Fitness as a welder. In a few minutes of your time, you buy enough, you earn enough income to buy a number two yellow pencil through trade. The opportunity cost of a pencil with trade and specialization is a couple minutes of your time. Now, if you had to make that pencil, if you had to make everything you earn, everything you consume, the opportunity cost would be huge. What, how much time would it take to make a number two yellow pencil? What would be the opportunity cost? It would take you, to, it would take you a couple of years to make some crude imitation of a pencil. So specializing and trading reduces opportunity costs and dramatically increases standards of living. Now we have this term called the comparative advantage. Individuals, states, nations will benefit by specializing in an activity or in a good in which they have a comparative advantage. And that what that means, all comparative advantage means, is something for which you have a lower opportunity cost relative to your trading partners. You have a comparative advantage in a good or an activity if you have to give up less. That is, the opportunity cost is lower than for somebody else. So if individuals, nations, states specialize in that which they have a comparative advantage, that is, that which they have a low opportunity cost, and trade for those things for which they have a high opportunity cost, everybody will win. You gain by specialization. You trade with Walmart. I trade with Walmart. Uh, Utah wins as a state, trading with the rest of the states of the United States. And the United States trades and gains gains by specializing in a set of goods and trading with the rest of the world. Uh, we illustrate this, and this is not a very good example to kind of go through. I went through an example in class. It's sort of difficult uh, by looking at a looking at a, a slide. But there, this is an example in slide 11 that it goes through, and I'm just looking at the book here on pages uh, 32, 32 and 33. What it shows is by special through specialization in trade, nations can all gain in other words, and by being able to consume at a point outside of their production possibility curve. See, that's the, that's the great uh, beauty of trade. You, all nations can, by specializing in that in which they have a comparative advantage, can consume at a point outside of their production possibility curves. What really is going on behind the scenes, if everybody specializes in that which they're relatively good at, i.e. have a lower opportunity cost, i.e. a comparative advantage, resources across the world will be more efficiently used and production of all goods will increase and all can gain from trade. Well, I think we'll stop there. An important chapter, fairly straightforward, but some don't, over, don't overlook how important these concepts are. I'll see you uh, next week.